Logical Progression, Year 4, Chapter 15, Lesson 1. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka l'anabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajal al-hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Right, so uh, today, without any further delay or anything like that, we are going to start a new chapter, um, and it's a significant chapter. It's it's called Bab Shurut uh, Salah, the uh, conditions of the prayer, the chapter of the conditions of the prayer, um, and this chapter is i mean of course all of fiqh is important and with respect to the prayer this is obviously important but what does this really deal with just to give you a little kind of a, a heads up um you're looking at all of the kind of things that must be done the prerequisites before the prayer all right so we're going to be talking about the time we're going to talk about purity and purification obviously we've covered that haven't we so it's just a passing reference to that we spent a long time on that um and then we're talking about um the necessary kind of things with respect to covering the body and the awra and that's going to be something that we're going to be spending time upon because you'll learn that there's a difference between the awra for one's normative self oneself when they're outside and one they're in the prayer as well as well so various things and we're going to define actually what a condition is because um even the area there are some people that said where did all these conditions come from where did these conditions come from, prerequisites come from, and we'll talk about what Sheikh Uthameen mentioned about that. So what we're going to do is that we will read out then, um, the new notes are on the portal. For those who are new, because I know that there are a number of new students for this chapter, then um, as you're watching this video, you'll see just underneath it on the portal, these three kind of tabs, and you'll see one which says, says Zadul Mustaqni' and that's the actual text. If you ever want to see the text of what we're covering, then that's that. On the right-hand side, uh, you'll see uh, a Sharh al-Mumti', which is the Arabic commentary, which those who understand Arabic can follow as well. Um, but the Arabic and English text that we're going to be uh, using is there, and this should probably last us until Ramadan, until our summer break. We've got to make a few decisions as well. We'll have a chat about that. Uh, are we looking to do something over the summer uh, similar to menstruation, uh, an intensive day weekend uh to, to you know to complete something uh, we'll have to have a think about that we'll, we didn't i don't know whether did we have a review of the last one did we did we did we have like a a, a feedback or whatever that yeah it was what we wanted to do i think we we did didn't we well we said that we wanted to do we we, we wanted to we had a vote, we had a vote right and and the majority said yes not specific to Meaning that because it was a, is a complete topic. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, but the same question can be applied again. For example, do you want to do the conditions of the prayer in all of next year, or do you want to finish it off in in a weekend? It's the same kind of, same kind of scenario. I mean, it's quite big. This is a. I mean, look, right? We've effectively. Did, did, did we start off year four with the book of Adhan and Iqama? We didn't do anything before it. 
Yeah, no, I understand. It's the book of prayer, but I'm saying <laughs> that it was it. Yeah, but what was the introduction? Was there anything significant? I can't remember. It's about 14 lessons. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it was much, Yani. Huh? It was. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it was about the obligatory. Oh, yes, sorry, sorry. Yes, you're right. It was about the obligation of prayer and the nature of the prayers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. We did. And the excellence of the prayer. Correct. Yeah. And then. Uh, Adhan Iqamah has taken us a significant amount of time. This Shurut al-Salah is bigger, much bigger than Adhan Iqamah. So we have to consider that. Anyway, let's have a look at the Arabic text which should last us um, uh, for year four. And then the English translations, uh, the English translation. It's on the screen here for you guys here. It's on the screen at home for those people who are at home. So the Sheikh, the Mu'allif, the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says, Babu Shurut al-Salah. The chapter of the conditions of the prayer. Shurutuha qablaha minha al-waqt wa-tahara min al-hadath wa-najas. Fawakta al-zuhar min al-zawali ila musawat al-shay fay'ahu ba'da fay' al-zawal. Wa-ta'jiluha afdalu illa fi shiddati harrin walaw salla wahdahu aw ma'a ghaymin liman yusalli jama'atan. ويليه وقت العصر إلى مصير الفيء مثليه بعد فيء الزوال والضرورة إلى غروبها ويسن تعجيلها ويليه وقت المغرب إلى مغيب الحمرة ويسن تعجيلها إلا ليلة جمع لمن قصدها محرما ويليه وقت العشاء إلى الفجر الثاني وهو البياض المعترض وتأخيرها إلى ثلث الليل أفضل إن سهل ويليه وقت الفجر إلى طلوع الشمس وتعجيلها أفضل وتدرك الصلاة, وتدرك الصلاة بتكبيرة الإحرام في وقتها ولا يصلي قبل غلبة ظنه بدخول وقتها إما باجتهاد أو خبر, أو خبر ثقة متيقن فإن أحرم باجتهاد فبان قبله فنفل وإلا ففرض وإن أدرك مكلف من وقتها قدر التحريم ثم زال تكليفه أو حاضت ثم كلف وطهرت قضوها ومن صار أهلا لوجوبها قبل خروج وقتها لزمته وما يجمع إليها قبلها ويجب فورا قضاء الفوائد مرتبا ويسقط أترثيب بإنسيانه وبخشة خروج وقت الاختيار الحاضرة Okay, so there is more to this, this chapter, but I've only yani, given us this much because it's a long chapter and I only translated this portion which will do us for a number of weeks. The English translation of the conditions of the prayer. The conditions before prayer include one, the time, and two, being free of ritual impurity and physical impurities. The time for dhuhr is just after the sun passes its zenith until an object's shadow equals the object's height in addition to what its shadow was at the zenith. It is better to hasten the dhuhr prayer, except a. during fierce heat, even if they pray alone, or b. when it is overcast, for those praying in congregation. Following that is a time for asr, which lasts until an object's shadow equals twice the object's height in addition to what its shadow was at the zenith. The prayer's critical time extends until sunset, but it is a sunnah to hasten it. Following that is a time for maghrib, which lasts until the redness disappears. 
It is a sunnah to hasten Maghrib, except for the pilgrim who intends other than that on the night of Muzdalifah. Following that is the time of Isha, which lasts up until the second dawn, where whiteness spreads horizontally along the horizon. It is better to delay Isha until a third of the night passes, if it is easy. Following that is a time for Fajr, which lasts up until sunrise. It is better to hasten it. One has caught the prayer if one performs the opening takbir in its time. One should not pray before feeling that that is very likely that that that, that, it, that, that it is very likely that the prayer's time has entered. This is achieved either by a trying one's utmost to work it out, which is called ishtihad, or b being informed by someone who is certain. If he makes the opening takbir based on his ishtihad, but then becomes clear that it was before the time, then the prayer is classed as supererogatory, yani voluntary. Otherwise, the prayer is classed as obligatory. Prayers are to be made up when 1. Someone legally responsible reaches an amount of the prayer's time equal to the amount of the opening takbir, while his legal responsibility has then ended and his legal responsibility has then returned. Or, menstruation begins and there is then purity. One is required to perform the prayer and any prayer that was joined before to it if the prayer becomes obligatory upon him before its time ends. It is obligatory to immediately make up missed prayers in order. However, maintaining that order is rescinded if forgotten. The order is forgotten. Or out of fear of the current prayer's preferred time exiting. So that will be enough for now. Okay. Just so that you're not too confused by those last few paragraphs. Because they, they do look a bit difficult and a bit strange. Okay. Those are referring to... Uh, 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 unique scenarios we touched upon them very briefly when we covered menstruation but that's the easiest way to understand how the madhab is basically looking at scenarios where someone is menstruating or is not menstruating and then they're in the prayer time but they've not prayed then they start menstruating do they need to make the prayer up and so on and so forth and other associated scenarios there's a lot of detail that we'll talk about that but as you can see what this section really is about what is dominated by is the prayer times okay and, I mean, we're going to be focusing on two things, really, when it comes to uh, this, this particular chapter. One, for us to really understand the concept of a shart, okay? Shart is the singular of the word shurut. Shurut means, is the plural, okay? And these are conditions. You can translate them as signs or indicators or, or, con or conditions or whatever. Or people call them prerequisites, Whatever phrase you want to use, it doesn't matter what you use in English. What's key is that you understand the legal definition in Arabic. And this is a very important phrase to understand because it applies across all acts of worship. And so you need to know where you stand with all acts of worship. The second big thing that you will learn in this chapter and in the next, in the remaining semester, is the concept of the sun. Okay? The sun dominates every single thing to do with the prayer time. And we as Muslims, as I tell all my students in Fiqh Salah, when I teach the Fiqh Salah, are very, very poor in our understanding of the sun. We don't understand it at all. We have two major problems going against us. Okay, Our first major problem is that we are a developed country. 
we do not depend upon outside or we don't work outside we have very little labor that goes on outside even the people who are working outside of an office or a computer or whatever all day they are in cars normally versus vis-a-vis the muslim countries or the developing world where there's huge amount of labor jobs people are often outside watching the sun see it moving you will ask you will ask a group of folks like yourself maybe not yourself because you guys are practicing and so on but you'll you grab a group of people certainly if you were talking about amongst non-muslims but even the muslims and you'd ask them where does the sun where is the sun at this time and where is the sun at that time and they'll have no idea and you know they'll be guessing i think it rises here and i think it rises there they've got some theoretical knowledge that it rises in the east and sets in the west but they won't be able to place it yeah and we have a very poor relationship so we uh, so uh, number one i mean that's really the second reason the first reason is that we're just ignorant of the fiqh behind it the facts the science and the islamic side of it and then two we don't get exposure to it that's that's what i was going to say whereas in the muslim world you only got one problem. They get lots of exposure to it, but they don't understand its rulings. They don't understand yani, what they're looking at. They don't understand, for example, whether what they see is actually a legal indicator or not. Because everyone can see the sun, right? But you need to know what is it that the sun is doing when it does what it does that will make me now uh, pray or not pray. What will prohibit me praying or obligate me praying? What will tell me to hurry up? What it won't. Why is all of the hadith talking about the color of the sun, the size of the sun, the size of the shadow? Why is it that we have different names for different shadows that are taken at different times, etc., etc.? Now, that's very important. It's very important because the Shaykh Abdul Ghaffar just said after the Salah, it's to do with our prayer, 24-7 obligation, we need to know how to do it. We get lazy because obviously we're now a world depending upon apps, timetables, whatever, and the majority of people don't really care. And I think this is a very important reminder that it's a sunnah to go out and actually work out using the sun and the moon. It's a sunnah, actual practice of the Prophet ﷺ, that they would look out and connect with these things. It's part of our natural surroundings. We have dua that we say when we see the full moon, when we see the hilal, when we see various things at various times. You can see the Prophet ﷺ is very connected. Now, you might argue, well, that's obvious because he's in a desert and it is very beautiful and very clear in a desert, very little light pollution and so on and so forth. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that just because we've allowed circumstances or we live in circumstances which has ruined that, doesn't mean that we need to also be lazy on that front. There are a number of people, and I've spoken about this before, there are good movements of people that are trying to revive the concept of what we call dark skies. There's actually the dark skies movement. One of the problems that we have in a lot of the kind of countries that we live in is that the light pollution. There's so much that we can't actually see very clearly the nature of the moon or dawn. Dawn is very difficult to see because of the amount of light that is shown uh, from cities. You see, dawn is such a slight change in the sky and a dark sky at that, that you will look at the normal glow or the hue that comes off a, a normal, normal town Forget about city, a normal town, and it looks like the entire horizon is actually uh, enlightened or whatever, illuminated, illuminated. It actually looks like that. So you've got to be really spot on and have an idea of how to actually differentiate and so on. I was speaking to one of my very good friends and close friends, Mufti Zubair, um, the other day. And we normally have our pre-Ramadan kind of conversation right about now because war will start yani, in six weeks, seven weeks. Yeah, and between us and them and so on and so we normally have the, the kind of the civil kind of start now so I said 
you're getting ready for yani, the war to start he goes yeah we've got some new plans this year I said what's your, what's your new plans he goes we, we heard some brothers I, I don't know whether you, want, whether you want to be part of the project I said of course we were part of the project uh, put, I put my name down he goes that we've got some brothers who are um, uh, are going to take it a bit further this year and set up a permanent camera in Birmingham um, and they're going to take pictures every single morning very, it's a very expensive, light-sensitive camera, blah, 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 of exactly what it looks like when dawn enters. Okay, or not some kind of time-lapse system. I said, okay. I said, what's that going to prove? I said, what's that going to prove? In Birmingham. I said, do you realize, Yanni, how much light pollution exists in Birmingham? He goes, no, no, they'll work out, Yanni, the light pollution will be deleted from the, you know, as a standard. The light pollution will be set as a standard, you know, like calibrated, if you know what I mean. So they'll assume a figure for that, and then every increase is what they'll look for. I go, how can you leave that to a camera to do de determine an increase and it not be associated to increase use of electricity or lighting in the city? You can only have, I said to him, it's the most basic yani, uh, uh, common sense that when you're doing a, a, a scientific experiment, you have to be able to control your standard, your, your, um, your benchmark. Yeah, it can't be going up and down. It's got to be absolutely stuck. So that's why, you know, when, that's why with these projects, when they normally happen, they actually go and, and find areas of the country where, uh, where there is... A, a perpetual level of darkness or they're so far isolated now in the rest of the world that's not too difficult europe canada they've got vast spaces in the uk we're a very small country we don't have much space northumberland is what they say in this country has the darkest skies but anyway dark skies moving something interesting now obviously it takes on a much more emotional uh, importance when it comes to the uh, uh 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 one the summer two when we're fasting because the summer it becomes so late that everyone is looking for some kind of way out, some kind of ease, someone to try and blag it basically, okay? And so everyone wants to try and become an expert then in, you know, the sun is this and the shadow is that and the redness is this and the, everyone every year becomes an expert. And then of course, your taraweeh is linked to that. The quicker you can pray your taraweeh, the quicker you can get it finished. Everyone's looking for some kind of blag. The later that you can eat, the earlier you can go to sleep, the earlier you can pray fajr. Everyone now suddenly has an invested, a vested interest. So... There's a lot of uh, discussion, a lot of fitna, and this is good timing that inshallah we should complete, hopefully, before Fajr, before, before, Fajr, before Ramadan uh, comes. It takes us to talk until Fajr as well. Uh, before Ramadan pops in. Uh, we'll be using some diagrams and some um, clever stuff, inshallah, probably next week. Um, and I will try and explain as best as possible the, 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 uh, the physics, the, the what, the science behind it, whatever. Okay, all right. So let's start with then the actual text itself. The Sheikh says, uh, Sheikh Uthameen, Ibn Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, ashartu lughatan al-alama. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, فَحَلْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَّا سَعَةَ أَنْ تَأْتِيهِمْ بَغْتَ And do they not see that the hour will come to them uh, all of a sudden? Yani it will come all of a sudden. فَقَدْ جَاءَ Ashratuha. And its ashrat are here. Its shurut are here. What does that mean? Its signs are here. Okay? So, ashrat is an indicator of something. You do it, it indicates something else. It happens, it indicates something else. So, it's either passive or it's active. Either it will happen and then you will do it, or you will do it and it indicates something else. So, for example, the time, you cannot pray until the time has entered. So, the 
the time is a shart. It occurs, it indicates that the prayer is now possible. Another shart will be wudu. Okay? But that wudu doesn't happen by itself. It happens by you doing it. So you have to actively do the wudu. Then you can now fulfill the actual prayer. Now, here is where the fun starts. That was the linguistic meaning of shart. Yes? That's nice and easy. But when it comes to the usuli scholars, the scholars of fiqh, yani, uh, legal scholars, they have to give it a very precise definition. And this is going to blow your mind. Okay? So we're going to try and get ourselves around this. He says in the Arabic, roughly, yani, he goes, that the concept of shart with the usuli scholars, he goes that when it is absent, when this shart is absent, it necessitates that the thing is absent. And when it is present, it doesn't necessitate that the thing is present. Okay? okay? Alright? It doesn't matter if you, 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 know, you didn't get it down because I want you to go as he's explaining. Okay? Because I'm going to give it... Uh, I'm gonna, I, you know, the good thing is, is that I've already written a nice definition down for you in English So I can read it out for you But I just wanted to see what he said He basically said that if it's not there Then nothing can be there But if it's there It doesn't necessarily obligate that the thing is there What is the thing? The thing is what's going to be dependent upon the shart Okay, so he gives an example Easy nice example He goes مثلاً الوضوء Okay, للصلاة So wudu. That if a person does not have wudu, is it possible to have prayer? No. Yeah? Now, what if you do have wudu? Does it mean you've prayed? Did you understand that? So if it's not there, the action can't possibly exist. If it is there, it still doesn't mean that the, of the action must actually exist. Does that make sense? i say that again or you, 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 you're there? Yeah? You happy with that? Okay. Alright, um, I will give you a technical definition, okay, a technical definition. It goes like this, a shart is an evident and constant attribute whose absence necessitates the absence of the action, whose absence necessitates the absence of of the action but whose presence does not automatically but whose presence does not automatically bring about its object bring about its object also comma it is separate from the essence of the act itself also it is separate from the act, from the essence of the act itself. Okay? So again, a shart is an evident and constant attribute whose absence necessitates the absence of the action, but whose presence does not automatically bring about its object. Also, it is separate from the essence of the act itself. Now what I've just said is the posh and legal and correct way of how to define a shart. It's an attribute. Okay? It's a, it's a thing. 
It's not a. It's not the whole object. It's not the action itself. A shart is not the entire prayer. It's an attribute. That attribute, for example, could be the direction of the qibla. Okay. That attribute could be the cleanliness of your prayer spot. That attribute could be you being in wudu. That attribute could be you being Muslim. That attribute could be uh, what else? Clean clothes. All right. It's an attribute. All right. It's a. I don't, know, I don't know how else to say that. Characteristic. It's a thing. Okay. It has to be evident. It's something which has to actually happen. It's not some theoretical idea or concept. That's what evident means. Constant. This is very important. It has to last. What did we say? If it's not there, the act is not there. Which means therefore it must last from the beginning to the end. So wudu is a classic example. If you have wudu, you can pray. But if you were to break your wudu in the middle of the prayer, can you finish the prayer? No, you can't. You, to finish that prayer, you've got to hold on to that wudu like the horses of Yani Jericho. All right? I just made that up right there. Okay? Right until the end. Otherwise, it's all over. That's what it means, constant. has to be there all the way until the end. Okay? So it's so an evident and constant attribute. We're over that part, yeah? That when it's absence, when it's not there, then it necessitates the absence of the action. If you're not in wudu, whatever happens, you can't pray. If you're not facing the qibla, then you can't pray. Yani, obviously, there's a lot of discussion about this, which we'll come to. Okay, we'll talk about that, obviously, the details later. But whose presence does not automatically bring about the action. And like I said, that just facing the Qibla does not mean you've prayed. Just having a clean space does not mean you've prayed. Just being in wudu does not mean you've prayed. That's very important. And the last point is, a, is an interesting one. It is separate from the essence of the act itself. Meaning, meaning that when you do a shart, even though it will last throughout the prayer, like wudu or like the niyyah, yes, niyyah is a shart. Has to happen before. All the shart, we can call this prerequisites, or you call it a condition. These are obviously have to happen before. It has to last through the act. It has to last through the prayer. If you're there praying Maghrib, you have to believe you're praying Maghrib. If in the second rak'ah you say to yourself, I'm actually praying Isha, your prayer is now invalidated. You invalidate your prayer. You have to literally start again with the Imam. And then stand up and make up the remaining rakats because you broke something which needs to be maintained constantly. Okay. However, the intention is not an actual. Not, it's not part of the essence of salah. Does that make sense? It's an external act which is part of it, but not from the essence. What is from the essence? Fatiha, ruku', sujood. These are, and because they are from the essence of the act itself, they are given a different title. These are called the Arkan, for example. We're going to come to that in its right time and right place. Now, Sheikh Uthameen takes the opportunity here to just make a statement. He goes, look, we've created like a whole science. We've actually created a chapter. We've called it the conditions of the prayer. So where did this come from? Did the Prophet ﷺ say in a hadith that the conditions of the prayer are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6? Okay, and he named the uh, aura, the qibla, wudu, niya, uh, cleanliness of place, etc., etc. That's the question. So, what do you think? No. No. We have no hadith like that? 
We don't. That's correct. We don't have any hadith like that. So couldn't a person say, well, why are these scholars then adding things to the Sharia? Why are they adding things to it which is not from it? They understood it. Why are they making us, why are they creating it a chapter and something that is additional to the Sharia? So is it an addition to the Sharia? That, so they, they, they deduced it, but is therefore the concept of Shurut al-Salah an, an addition to the Sharia? That's the important point. Yeah? It's a ridiculous argument in the first place, and to make sure that we completely slap it down, the idea that anyone does something in a different way is actually introducing something to the Sharia is nonsense. And it's very important. Sheikh Uthameen is talking about this example here. But the reason he's, he's given this example is in order for people to not misunderstand the creativity of people uh, or, to, or you can put it a different way, to fulfill the needs of the people. So for example, he mentions here, he goes, they ask, some of these people would criticize the idea that, oh, you've created this shurut and you're making people memorize them and whatever, whatnot. And, you know, that's, you know, that's crazy. And he's saying, will they, will they say the same thing about publishing houses? Because the Prophet ﷺ never had books that were published and then distributed and so on. And yet people do that all the time. Is that also something which is being an addition to the Sharia? No, rather it is making what's available in principle easier for the people to take. And that is actually the fulfillment of a principle in the Sharia. If we understand this point, which is obviously super obvious, okay? It is obvious. However... It has other extensions as well. It has other extensions, especially in our time today. Because you can see that today people are teaching this deen in very, very many different ways. Many different ways. And a lot of the time these are not things which are in a normal kind of way. People believe, and it took a long time, and it's still taking a long time with Muslims who still can't yani, get over this fact. They do not consider a circle of knowledge to be a circle of knowledge unless a person sits on the floor, for example, or, you know, wears a hat, has a beard, you know, everyone's around them and there's a lot of seriousness and there's a lot of, you know, there's this idea that it's got to be like that. That is how it was done and so on and so forth. And most of the time, actually, the irony is, is that they didn't really even know or don't, don't, they don't even really know how the Prophet ﷺ did teach. Sometimes the Prophet ﷺ was teaching whilst walking. Sometimes he was teaching while sitting on a ride. Sometimes he was teaching yani, during uh, uh, fighting and so on and so forth. And it's very important for us to understand that just because people start to compartmentalize different aspects of the religion, they do it to make it easier for us not to actually say this is an addition to the Sharia. That's very important. Really, really important. Because today you have different classes that are offered. You have different technologies which are used. You have apps now, for example. People shouldn't feel guilty about that. Yeah, like I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. Uh, Hajj, all right? Hajj. Now, Hajj has always traditionally been a case of people should study the fiqh and then go and do it. There's no, there's no concept. There was no concept that there is like a, a Hajji guide. Yes, it's everyone studies and then they go and if they go on issue, they find the scholars who are there and they ask the question. So what happened in the last hundred years? An entire business and industry has been built up because of the fact that one, people don't have the time or the motivation to study, so they don't have the knowledge. And two, if they got if they get there, they can't actually ask anyone because they don't have the they don't have the ability, the language, and so on and so forth. So this industry of Hajj companies and Hajj 
uh, guides and scholars that would go with them and then go and ask and so on and so forth yeah so that was its time and it's currently you know happening right now as well and so on and so i mean i'm one of them i know okay however maybe this is also time limited and the next 100 years is going to be not based upon people at all but based upon an app and an app i mean from four or five years ago was developed using geolocational you know technology or whatever whatnot to actually uh, guide you through wherever you are yeah i mean that's very basic i mean that's like as i mean i, I, I use uh, uber or uber i don't know how to say it still the only second time i used it yeah and i was petrified yeah, i didn't know what was gonna happen right but uh, uh, i was i was amazed i mean uber is a basic thing so it's just catching a taxi from thingy he knew you by the way sheikh abdelfar yeah it was smile who picked me up so you know what happens whenever smile picks you up you always have to ask about yani sheikh uh, he, he, he goes, where are you from? I go, Manchester. I go, do you know Sheikh Abdullah? He goes, a tall one. I go, yes. He goes, yeah, there used to be this young guy who used to recite very nicely. I go, yeah. <laughs> I go, Sheikh Abdullah. <laughs> you, will, you will wait for many, many months. Months you will be waiting. This, this, this guy, when he came, I was looking at, when I, when I paid, I didn't realize that, you know, you press the button and you pay. And I don't realize, you know, what happens next. But he shows you a map of his car driving around. Did you see? Did you know that? Yeah? I, I don't know if you use it. But it shows that his car coming. It showed me. And there's one car coming and another car coming. And this is the one. Then when it was coming closer and closer, his car turned up. And it had a picture of him. Him. And the registration number plate. And I looked at the car. Go, this is the same guy. This is whatever. This is the basic technology which has been going on for a couple of years now. I, I suggest me use not use Uber. So some people put this technology into Hajj apps and Umrah apps, which when you're going around the Kaaba, it is not only telling you where you actually started from, how many uh, you just did, but then telling you what you need to say at each stage and so on and so forth. And then when you move on to the Sa'i and so on and so forth, etc. Nothing's ever going to replace a real life scholar. No one's going to be able to, you know, but it's not difficult to populate this app full of the most common questions, search it, you know, translate everything. It's going to happen. Now, what I'm trying to say is that once we take out all the, the Hajj guides and we start becoming dependent upon an app which has been checked, whatever, are people going to say, look at this bid'ah, people are doing Hajj according to apps? We'll say no. We'll say this is how the Ummah develops all the time. And it always develops new ideas, new concepts, whatever, that just make it easy for people. And the reality is, is that, you know, that audiovisual kind of approach is what people are moving towards. People don't like to read, which is a real major problem. Okay, and we've got to come up with solutions. So shurud and this idea is only something which is there to make the job easier for us. Okay, all right. So, um, the, the, the uh, author said the shurud, qablaha. Of course, as I said, shurud must happen before. You can't have a shart afterwards. That's why it's called a prerequisite. However, as I said, and I really emphasize again, it must continue throughout. So it will go before the action and it will end at the end of the action. Whereas arkan, when we come to it, pillars or essentials of an act, they are within the act itself. They start with the act, end with the act. That's, that's important to remember. Minha al-waqt. They include, and then he mentioned two. Minha in Arabic means that it is, and from them, that's what it means, minha. So therefore, you can already see that the author is making it clear that there are many, but he hasn't mentioned it. And that's obviously natural, because this is only a short text that's meant to be memorized, and he's not going to hit you with everything, especially when we know some of these already. So what are the other shurut that we can say that he's not mentioned? 
for salah. Good. That has to be mature. Islam. Good. Sanity. Yep. To be to be human to be aware to be aware of one's actions. So al Islam and al Aqal and al Bulugh in certain in certain cases, um, in certain cases. In this one for salah, a tamiz. Tamiz we talked about, right? The ability to distinguish yani, between right and wrong and so on. That is something here which is not going to give him a legal kind of position, but it's a precondition that a person has to be able to work out what's going on, right? Now, it's important to remember that these are just not three automatic um, conditions. You know, you might just think these are shurut and that's it. Every act of ibadah has different shurut. Yeah, so if we said, for example, bulugh, puberty, and Islam, and aqal, for the prayer, would that be the case for hajj, for example? Islam, yes. Islam, yes? Okay. Aqal, because you need to know what you're doing? Okay. What about bulugh? So, is bulugh a shart or not? <laughs> that is the question. You wanted it? Here's the question. Okay. Therefore, your answer is? <laughs> You're not very good at this, are you? Just say the answer, yes or no. What do you think? Yes. The, 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 the answer is that there's a difference of opinion on the matter. Okay, and it's an interesting one, and we'll come to it, of course. But the Prophet ﷺ did actually was there when a woman was doing Hajj with her child, and she asked the Prophet ﷺ, "Does the child get a Hajj?" And the Prophet ﷺ referred in the affirmative. However, that indi- so that indicates that the Hajj was accepted, which would indicate that to be post-pubescent is not a condition. However, at the same time, is that a technical response? Because we know that that would not count for the obligatory Hajj. So we've got a bit of a tricky kind of scenario here. We know that this child has to repeat the Hajj later on. However, the Prophet ﷺ has definitely accepted that the child will be rewarded for this act. And you can only be rewarded for an act if it's accepted from you. You can't be rewarded for an act that's not accepted from you. Which would suggest that Bulugh is not actually a condition. And that's an interesting point. Let me put another scenario to you. What about another mighty act of Ibadah? Zakat. What do you think? What are the conditions for Zakat? Islam, happy with that? Okay then. Aqal? What do you think? Huh? Say that again, sorry? Zakat, normal zakat. Normal zakat. Sorry? So we're talking about sanity. So it required? So we have some... We have some yes, no's, yes, no's, no, 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 yeah, no, no. Okay, what about children? Oh, sorry, what about a puberty? Good. So I'm glad you're discussing. First of all, there's no agreement on these points. Okay? There's no agreement on these points. Um, and that's why you'll find a cl- a, a, amongst the classical fuqaha 
a, a big difference of opinion between them and then we all have our own opinions as well um, in my personal opinion in my personal and I want to stress this because it's not the majority position that I do not consider Bulugh to be a condition and I do not consider Aql to be a condition so for me I insist that zakah is taken from those who are clinically insane and also who are children. But this is the minority position. And the reason for that is because I view zakat in a different light to what the majority do. The majority considers zakat to be an obligation upon people, whereas I consider zakat to be an obligation upon money. And if zakat is an obligation upon money, then it doesn't matter where it's found. Whether whether sick one, well one, ill one, young one, insane one you understand what I'm trying to say it is the right of the people to have access it's the right of the poor to have access to that money it's not something that is like again I said it's the, 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 the fuqaha they've got to try and understand the objective are they saying are they, are they they ask themselves the question are we taxing a person is it yani, taxing I used yani, are we purifying a person or are we purifying money if you're purifying a person then that person needs to know they're being purified and if you're purifying a person who needs to be there, know they're purified, you need to be old enough to be able to understand and sane enough to be able to know that they are doing an act of worship. You see now how important it is to define it clearly? And so therefore, these conditions are not always all the same and they do differ from act to act. So in my opinion, only Islam is required. Whereas the majority, they want bulugh and they want aql uh, as well. So keep that in mind. It's an interesting uh, point of study, which Yani, when it comes to it, um, uh, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not so straightforward. It's not so straightforward. It's not, they know the ayah of, of purifying of the money. So, um, anyway, yes. So, so, uh, so, like, like we said before, um, I can't remember which chapter we were talking about, but um, um, maybe it was this one. Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, that when it comes to bulur, what we're talking about there is when it becomes legally accepted. So everything before that. Okay, that's why the scholars didn't mention, that's why Sheikh Uthameen, he didn't, for, for Salah, he didn't say Islam, Aqal and Bulugh. He didn't say that. He said Islam, Aqal and Tamiz. Remember what I said about Tamiz. Tamiz is being able to distinguish, which we said is six, seven years old. The ability to be able to know right from wrong. Now we know that the Prophet ﷺ does not expect prayer from anyone who is under the age of Tamiz, who is not Mutamayyiz, okay, or Mumayyiz, right? So uh, under seven, we don't see this. Yeah, and what we see is kids playing around and nothing being said to them. They come, they copy, they come, they copy, and they get bored, they walk off, that kind of stuff, yeah? Whereas at the age of seven, right, they are told and they are coaxed into it. And they are given yani, a nice, easy kind of gentle ride until the age of 10. And that is yani, then, you know, firmer and firmer as they get older and older. It becomes more uh, formal, more disciplined. And that yani, is not a legal prayer. If they pray at that time, it, it, uh, 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 it's not going to, um, how can I say? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is difficult to ignore the reward for the child because there's no doubt that there's a reward for the child. Okay, it's difficult to ignore the fact that there will be a reward for the parents as well and all those who helped. But ultimately, when it comes to legal accountability, that's only going to start when they themselves are aware of legal accountability, i.e., when they become mukallaf, yani legally responsible. And legal responsibility only starts at puberty. So here we are reducing the age of legal responsibility 
to one of seven in order for them to actually physically pray. Because we know that the Prophet ﷺ expect them to pray. Because he said that, show them the prayer at seven and then discipline them over at ten. Which the Prophet ﷺ is explicitly saying, like in the case of the Hajj, that they should be praying. And it's not going to be pointless. So there's got to be some kind of thing to it. But when it comes to actual legal accountability, then that's a different age. That's what... So this is, this is why it's, it's a difficult one, okay? That's why it's a difficult one, because um, technically it's not. Technically it's not. Yeah, bulugh. No, no, tamiz. Okay? It's bulugh, right? I think here the idea is, is that you don't go for the second one, you go for the, what comes earlier. And if you go for what's earlier, then you've covered the actual bulugh as well. It makes more logic to go for the earlier age and then cover the legal responsibility as well. Okay? Alright. So the first one then is time itself. Okay? And the evidence for the prerequisite of time is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ كَانَتْ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا مَوْقُوتًا In surah to Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for the prayer is obligatory for the believers at prescribed times. Indeed, inna as-salata, indeed the prayer, kanat al-mu'mineen, has been made upon the believers, kitaban mawquta, has been written, kitaban, written down, meaning prescribed, meaning obligatory, mawquta, at set times, set times, okay, at regular intervals. مُؤَقَّتًا بِوَقْتِهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says uh, in Surah Al-Isra أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ غَصَقِ اللَّيْلِ وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجَرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجَرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Isra uh, verse 78 So perform the regular prayers in the period from the time that the sun passes the sun is past its zenith until the darkness of the night. Okay, so so perform the regular prayers in the period from the time the sun is past its zenith until the darkness of the night. And recite the Quran at dawn. Indeed, the dawn recitation is always witnessed. Okay, so a period of time has been specified in the second uh, ayah. So from the Aduluk uh, Shams. Duluk shams. Duluk means basically the starting the, the, the collapse of the sun. Okay? Meaning the actual when the sun starts to go down, and we'll talk about that until the darkness of the night. So you've got a a uh, basically a period that starts at Dhuhr and goes all the way until Fajr. Okay? And that period of time has been told that we need to pray. And in the other ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it has been written upon us at set times. And there are other verses. As well, uh, of course, uh, in the Sunnah we have so many. For example, there's the Hadith of the Prophet sallallahu narrated by a Muslim, where he said, "وَقْتُ الظُّهْرِ إِذَا زَالَتِ الشَّمْسِ وَكَانَ ظِلُّ الرَّجُلِ كَطُولِهِ مَا لَمْ يَحْدَرُ الْعَصْرِ وَوَقْتُ الْعَصْرِ مَا لَمْ تَصْفَرَ الشَّمْسِ." Translated literally, uh, in this Hadith narrated by Muslim, Hadith number six one six hundred and twelve, he said that the time for dhuhr is when the sun passes its zenith. And the shadow of a person, of a man, is the same length as his height, as long as Asr hasn't entered. 
and the time for Asr is as long as the sun has not become yellow. Okay, that is the that's the hadith of Muslim which is talking about the time for Salat of Dhuhr and Asr. You look at that hadith, yani literally, it doesn't help us very much. It's a bit confusing because if the sun goes yellow, that's not yani, the setting of the sun, right? So we still know that we can pray Salat al Asr at that time. And so, it's, but the hadith here says that you've gone past that part time. As soon as the sun starts to set, as soon as the sun starts to become yellow, what is the sun becoming yellow a sign of, by the way? What has the, what has the color of the sun got to do anything? Heat? No. Well, it does. Excellent. It's a basic issue of physics. Okay, it's a basic issue of physics. Color is a is an expression of the solar elevation angle, or it's an expression of exactly the angle that the light is coming to us. So, if the source is the sun, that light, and it coming towards us, the angle that it makes with the Earth, or our perception of it, okay, is going to determine its color the way that it starts bouncing off the astronomical dust and so on and so forth that it's going through its angle where it is its location and so on and so forth so when it's very very high and very very uh, uh is when it's very very high straight on top very little deflection straight down you see it as almost exclusively white okay but then it starts to when it becomes very low and we're talking asr time and late asr time and that period just before Maghrib starts, you will see the sun become very, very yellow. You can look it straight in the eye, no problem. doesn't hurt your eyes anymore and so on. That's a reflection or that's an expression of the fact that it has become so low. That for us, the Prophet is using a very simple technique. He's basically saying to you, you've got to pray your Asr before it gets too close to Maghrib. Because that's essentially what's happening. With the sun coming so low, it just basically means that Maghrib is about to kick in very soon. And that's what he's prohibiting. We'll talk about that, of course, um, soon. Okay, Sheikh Uthameen says, Now you need to know that the prayer is not permissible before its time by consensus of all the Muslims. It is not permissible at all before its time. So if a person was to pray before the time, so let's say Salatul Maghrib today started at 8.09, okay? Was it 8.09? You see, that's another point. I don't have my phone, but I bet your sunset was not eight or nine. Forget that. Just what's your? I just just check your iPhone. Eight or nine. Oh, no iPhone. Eight or nine on the chill time. What did you hear? Am I speaking French? Yes, that's chill time, my boy. Eight or seven. There you go. What did I tell you? Okay, all right. And there's a reason. That's why you need to know about how this works. The suns. You see, the way that they measure sunset. Okay is different to the way that we would uh, uh, tell people when to pray. Okay? So, uh, as, as you can imagine, Muslims never going to trust non-Muslims ever for the rest of their lives. Okay? Just one. Just naturally, any inbuilt. Got no idea why. They're basing everything on their calculations anyway, but they still won't accept it. Sunset is sunset, meaning that the set, the setting of the sun, the sun has disappeared. Now for us, when we come to this obviously later, Maghrib, you have a horizon. The horizon is what you see in front of you, okay? When the sky meets the ground, that is yani, the furthest that you can see, that's the horizon. Once the sun goes down, 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 okay? This is called the setting of the sun. 
when it disappears that's called sunset all right soon as the disc goes underneath that's sunset that's when maghrib kicks in the impermissible time to pray as we're going to learn is when it's setting okay it is haram to pray at that time we have a hadith we'll come to those and so on there are three key prohibited times it is when the key prohibited times there are many prohibited times but there are three key prohibited times when the sun is rising so that's meaning coming off the horizon quarter disc half disc full disc and then boom so that period of time when it's at its absolute highest point it's not moving and then when it's setting so it's going down 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 and disappearing these are haram times before these times fajr is last minute job and uh, 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 at that end asr is last minute job but then you got to stop when it's going down because that's prohibited time soon as it goes down maghrib kicks in the time that you see on the clocks or whatever apps and so on non-muslim ones okay is just a straightforward scientific yani statement that the sun has gone down muslims are like well you know what we're not sure we'll just add a couple of minutes okay and that's fair enough if they want to do that okay but i'm just saying that there's no actual evidence for them to do that it's just our irrational pack fear of everything gora yeah it's yani inbuilt into us and it will remain for the rest of our lives and we can't do anything about it i don't know i i don't i don't go by anything i go by my iphone 100 percent. if it says that that is what the sunset is that's it done if the android says it we will add another 10 minutes because android <laughs> android is you know is rubbish yani, and it can never be trusted with issues like our prayer whereas apple mashallah bismillah mashallah right um so um the if a person was to pray let's say at eight o'clock all right salatul maghrib eight o'clock yep we've seen that it, the sun sets at 807 and so on we have a number of scenarios if he does it intentionally then it's batal okay the prayer is void okay two things will happen okay tell me what will happen if he prays before the prayer time He will be sinful, number one. And the prayer is void. He has not prayed. Is that clear, everybody? That's very important. He didn't do a legal act because the legal condition is not there. He could have prayed the whole prayer and all lovely and all nice and all great. But he has to repeat it. Even, for example, let me just make it clear. He starts the prayer at 8 o'clock and he finishes at 8.20. Prayer has been in for 11, 12 minutes. The whole prayer is cancelled because he started before the actual time. And number two, worse, he's sinful and in big sin because he did it intentionally. So that's a major problem. Yes. Because he did it intentionally. That's the only reason. Okay? So that's the scenario there. If he didn't do it intentionally, he thought that it was Maghrib time. He looks out, he seems to remember some time yesterday, and he looks at there, oh, it's Maghrib time, and then he prays. What's the scenario? What happens then? Give me the scenarios. Uh, sorry, give me the, the states. Number one, he won't be sinful. He still has to repeat it again. What's the status of that prayer? It will be a nafil. It will just be a supererogatory prayer. An extra prayer, and it has not it has not counted as his obligatory prayer. Is that clear? That is why it's important to understand what the conditions are. 
okay conditions must be fulfilled in order for your act to be legally accepted here the act is not legally accepted but he escapes the sin because he never did it intentionally for laysa bi'athimin wa salatuhu naflun walakin alayhi al-i'ada okay he's not sinful the prayer has become voluntary and he will have to do it again okay um what can we now uh, talk about uh, here? We already said that There's a consensus, there's ijma'a, consensus that the prayer is not acceptable before the time. Okay? What about after the time? After the time. I'm not meaning within the time. I'm talking after the time. Yeah. So, so based on those scenarios, yes. he can pray because that would be there his time of the salah. Good. Yes, good, correct. Okay. Yes, it is possible for a person to pray after the time with a valid excuse, a legal excuse. Not something which is done intentionally, but something which, for example, as the Prophet Sallallahu said, uh, what did he say, Sallallahu He said, Man an salatin aw nasiyaha. So we know two things. The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith that the one who prays, the, the one who uh, is asleep when, the, when it is time for the prayer or he forgets it, then he should pray it as soon as he remembers. He should pray it as soon as he remembers. Okay? So that is something which is legitimate. Obviously, this is a sleep when I mean that is not something that he did himself. It is a sleep which, يعني, you know, he, he, يعني, uh, it wasn't negligence from him. He was just tired and whatever. Person who's going to sleep very, very late, watching stuff, blah, doing stuff, knowing he's going to struggle, that's a major problem. Okay? So we're talking about a person who was asleep, any natural reasons, or he forgot it. This is a person who should pray. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ, he missed Fajr once, they all overslept. And he ordered Bilal to make the adhan and they prayed. These are two separate incidents and two separate pieces of evidence. One's a statement and one's an action. And of course the statement is more important than the action. Why is that? Excellent. Good. Because the action of the Prophet ﷺ always has the possibility of being something only for him. There's always the possibility. Whereas a statement that is said by him is clear and it's never preceded. It can't be any understood in any other way. Okay? Um, there are some people... Okay, this is interesting. Okay? Uh, and you know, by the way, when the Prophet ﷺ said this hadith that whoever is asleep during a prayer or he forgets it, then let him pray when he remembers it. As soon as he said that, then he recited the ayah, وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِذِكْرِ The Prophet ﷺ, then he mentioned the Qur'an, uh, he mentioned this ayah and established the prayer for my remembrance. And yani, as if to say that when you remember, then you need to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's ultimately what the prayer's function is. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about the prayer from a technical point of view, but let's not forget actually why we're doing it. It is ultimately a formal way of actually keeping a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Because people could say, I'm always remembering Allah. Actually, they, they do say that, right? When you say to someone who doesn't pray, Yani, I'm a good Muslim, I, I love Allah, Allah loves me, and all this kind of nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Yani, you know, he's just making up as he goes along, really. Right? Everyone could then say that God loves me and I'll just do what I want. So this obviously makes sure that people really, really do do that. And we can obviously talk about that another time. So um, the question is this. Here is the, uh, uh, an interesting point. What about intentionally? What about a person? Not inten- yeah, yeah, honey, what I mean is that what about a person who doesn't have a legal excuse? Can that person pray after the time? Okay, go on then. Who said yes? Yeah, go on. Give me an example. I mean, I mean, what would the status of that prayer be? Is it allowed to do that? To pray after the time without a legal excuse? Yes, it is. Because um, it's not an excuse to pray five prayers a day. Uh-huh. So you have to, you like, pray No, 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 no. I'm talking about a scenario, for example, Salat al-Dhuhr. Did you miss it? Um, I didn't miss it. Oh, I should be praying it. Don't want to pray it. I'm busy. Don't want to pray it. I'm busy. Don't want to pray it. Okay, I pray it now. It's now Salat al-Asr time. One hour into Salat al-Asr time. So I didn't have an excuse. And I am now after the Dhuhr time has gone. What is the status of my Dhuhr prayer? I have to pray it. You're sinful. Okay. Islam. So, no, we're not talking about a person who's trying to combine. We're not talking about a person who has an intention from combining. We're talking about a person who has no intention of combining, no issues, no difficulty, no reason, just doesn't pray out of laziness. Yes? Right. That's good. That is a position of the majority of the scholars. Okay? The majority of the scholars said... This person is sinful, in big sin, by the way, because once you start going into this kind of act, then as we covered a couple of months ago, this is an act of kufr, yani, depending upon how much yani, you're aware you are, what your thought process is. Okay? And we said that it doesn't mean if you miss one prayer, but if you start to delay and miss you know, continuous prayers from its time, then you're starting to move not, not just in the haram circles, but closer to the kufr in terms of the acts of severity. But the majority of scholars said, in addition, that the prayer still has to be done and it will be valid. Sheikh Uthameen is one of the very few minority scholars, very small minority of scholars, who said, not only is he incredibly sinful, but he can't pray. He has missed the prayer because according to him, was sahih it is not valid to pray a prayer after its time unless he has a legitimate excuse. So the legitimate excuse would be sleeping, he forgot it, he was forced, he couldn't move, blah blah whatever. Okay? But without a legitimate excuse, Sheikh Uthameen's position here is, as I said, is some, something, and I'm going to just, this is interesting, okay? And it's controversial as well. Okay, I'm going to read for you his entire passage so you can see his thinking. He says, for the question is asked, Is it permissible to pray the prayer once the time has gone without any excuse? 
جمهور أهل العلم على أنه تصح بعد بعده مع الإثم. The majority of the scholars, um, as mentioned by Imam Nawawi and by Ibn Al-Qayyim and by Imam Shawkani in Nail Al-Tar, they all said that it, the prayer is uh, valid, صحيح, it's valid, but he is a sinful, but he is a sinner. Yani, he is sinful. But the correct opinion is that it is not valid after its time if he does not have an excuse. And whoever depends upon the fact and whoever intends to pray the prayer after the time has expired, then his prayer is invalid. Even if he prays a thousand times. Because the evidence has specified the time. And if a person intends to pray his time, his prayer, outside of that time, he has come something with that, with that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not command. لَمْ يَأْتِ بِمَا أَمَرَ اللَّهِ He came, he bought something else. Allah told him to pray this time, and he's going to pray at that time. Remember, he did it intentionally. Remember, there's no valid excuse here. Yeah. So he goes, he came with something that Allah did not tell him to come with. And the Prophet sallam. He said very, very clearly, whoever does an action which is not from our actions, it is rejected. So then this prayer would be rejected. So a person that he would pray after the time, the prayer would be rejected. He goes, some people are going to have a problem with this. Okay? They will say, they will say, he goes, <laughs> he said, this is good. Okay? He says, some people are going to say, hold on. You're saying that the person who has an excuse, he has to pray after the time. Yeah? So if he has an excuse, he has to pray after the time. And the one who doesn't have an excuse, you can't pray. That's basically what yani, we're saying. Which if you think about it, is a bit strange, right? Yeah? Okay, well anyway. Uh, he goes, is it not right? Yeah, and we're talking from a, a, an ethical point of view, moral. He goes that, the people would argue this, is, it's a logical argument. He goes, shouldn't we come down harder upon those people who are intentionally sinning versus those who have actually legitimate excuse? That's the argument. Do you get it now or not? No? Let me repeat it. He's basically saying that some people will say, and, it, and these people will be making an, a moral argument. They'll be saying, hold on, the guy who had the legitimate excuse... Yeah? You're making him pray again. Prayer is a punishment though. No, 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 but this is the argument. Oh, yeah? Okay. You're making him pray again. He's not praying again. Uh, sorry, uh, you're, you're making him pray after the time. Yeah? Whereas the guy who missed it intentionally, you're saying to him, you don't have to pray. Or, yani, la tusalli, yani, don't pray. Yeah, you're not allowed to pray. And they're saying, surely. We should focus more on the guy who's intentionally flapping about than the guy who had an excuse and he feels regretful and, you know, this is what he's trying to say. So he goes, he will say, Sheikh Uthameen says, he goes, what will be said to this person who makes this claim is that when we're saying that you cannot pray after the time, we're not saying that out of some kind of leniency to the guy. We're not saying يعني, this تخفيفاً عليه ولكن رداً لعمله. يعني, we're not saying, we're not like 
you know, he's basically saying to this guy who's making the oral, moral argument that we're not being easy upon the guy like this. He's actually been punished more. We're rejecting his, uh, his action to teach him a real lesson that he cannot be coming and doing actions as of and when he pleases in some kind of manner that he thinks is absolutely okay. He goes, actually, our approach is more morally upright and more likely to sort him out than their approach, which is the majority, which was to say, well, you know what, you're a sinner, but go ahead and pray. But we're going to say, you're a sinner and you can't pray. And that is going to have more of a bigger effect upon a person because, as Zephyr said, we don't see the prayer as a punishment. We see the prayer as a privilege. And by banning him from the prayer, that's a real major loss. It's a real major loss. So he goes, basically, what is therefore the person going to do if a person is in that position? If a person he intentionally does, uh, does not pray, yeah. He goes that the person, this is amazing. And by the way, there's an important point which is linked to this. Okay? He said that the person who intentionally does not pray in its time, intentionally, the only solution for him is to make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what he did, and he's still not allowed to pray. He's still not allowed to pray. Now, as I said, this is the minority position. I believe this is a position of Ibn Taymiyyah. I need to confirm it. I need to go back and revise it. Okay? I didn't get much opportunity. But I believe that's his position. I also know that this is one of the cornerstones of the opinion. And we're going to talk about this later. Not today. Don't any internet flood me. Okay? About the issue of the people who do not pray when they're younger. Yep. 20, 15, 16. Or they're not practicing. You know? And I've got all the prayers of my life to make up. As you know, the four schools of, of fiqh the Hanbalis included, big time, okay? They all obligate upon a person to pray every single prayer that's been missed. And the Hanafis, and the Shafi'is, and the Malikis, all of them. Every single prayer. And they give you various options how to do it. But they have to be made up. However, the position of Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim is that once a prayer is gone, it's gone. If it's within yani, some kind of uh, 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 period of time where there was some kind of reason for it being missed, fine. But when it's missed like this intentionally, when a person did not do it, whether it's because he wasn't practicing, or whether he didn't understand, or whether he was ignorant, or X or Y or Z, but he intentionally did not pray, and this is one of the key obvious points of the prayer, then it's not accepted from him after the time, and therefore he has to make tawbah. What do they add though, when Sheikh Uthameen doesn't mention it here, because he's only talking about a guy who missed one odd prayer, and we're talking about the perpetual problem of a person who's missed 10, 20 years. What did they add? Toba of course has to happen It's the only way Is to make up for the sin the, Actually both of them actually What's in addition? Correct Correct They have to increase In their nafal prayers Which will Make up for the deficiency In the obligatory Okay And we will come to this point In detail as well Meaning basically We know that the Prophet ﷺ Has described That a person on the day of judgment When they're being judged and their obligatory actions are going to be found deficient, then the supererogatory, the nafil, are going to be then dipped into, and the obligatory going to be fixed. That's why it's so important, so important, 
and the time is running out now to practice your fasting Mondays and Thursdays and so on and the three days of the week and winter you should be doing it so that when Ramadan comes people are thinking it's all lovely and you know great but you know you're taking a big risk you need to have some in the bank to cover for mistakes you make likewise the prayer people are praying in the obligatory prayer and they're thinking everything's all ladi-dadi but it's not they need to have actual cover and that's what the nafil prayer is for okay is that clear so we've done the first precondition right or prerequisite which is the time that is that that's done now okay the second one is the at-taharatu min al-hadith to be in a state or to be free from these two things hadith and an najas or najasa okay so we covered uh, hadith in immense amount of detail right hadith is a ritual state of impurity that is including minor and major Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاغْسِنُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you're going to stand for the prayer, then make sure that you wash your faces and the whole rest of the ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَكِنْ يُرِيدُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only, only wants to purify you and He's going to complete His favor upon you. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ So that you may be grateful. So therefore, it is very, very clear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has it obligated that a person is free from hadith al-Askhar and hadith al-Akbar, meaning that a person has is in a state of wudu, and if he is in a state of sexual impurity or janaba, then he has to have made ghusl. And if there is no water, then he has to have made tayammum. And that is absolutely a condition. This is from the Quran. Allah subhanahu the Prophet and the, the evidence from the Sunnah is that the Prophet said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not accept the prayer of any single one of you until you make wudu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not accept the prayer of any one of you until you make wudu. Hadith narrated by Bukhari. This is a clear nas, sarih, a clear text which indicates, as, as the Prophet said in another hadith, la salata bi tuhur. There is no prayer without purity. There is no prayer without purity. So that's very, very clear. You must be in a state of, uh, uh, of tahara. You must not be in hadith asghar or akbar, ritual state of impurity. Anyone doesn't know what's going on, look at the first three years of this Yani Hill class, then you'll understand what's going on. Okay? The next point is najas, filth or impurity. We're talking physical impurity. What's going on there? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it a condition before the prayer that there be no physical impurity in a number of places. We're talking physical. Okay? So these are from your clothes, from the area, and from the body. These are the three things that you need to remember. So it's you, the body, your clothes that you're wearing, and the area that you're praying. Okay, so the first one is your clothes. We have a number of evidences. The first one is the hadith of menstruation, where the Messenger وسلم, was asked about menstrual blood that had fallen onto a cloth, and he said, يعني, uh, scratch it away and then clean it with water, sprinkle it bit on and then pray in it. This is a very clear evidence that it is obligatory obligatory to remove najasa because menstrual blood is by consensus najasa. It is filth, it is impure. Okay, This hadith narrated by Bukhari. Second evidence, the Messenger of Allah came with a, uh, was, was brought a young baby boy who had not eaten yet and he urinated in his lap and the Prophet ﷺ then asked for some water and he cleaned himself with water. This is proof that he had to get rid of the actual urine. 
This is an action of the Prophet ﷺ, of course. It is less strong than this statement of the Prophet ﷺ. That was much strong, but we just want to show statement and an action. And then the other very clear hadith, which is something very uh, expressive. Hadith again, which is uh, it's a sahih. It is narrated by Imam Ahmed and by Imam Abu Dawood. The Prophet ﷺ was praying in his na'al, which is basically slippers. Okay, He was praying in his slippers. And then whilst he was praying, So whilst they were praying, uh, all the companions behind him were also praying in their slippers. Okay, remember it's not carpet like we have now, and they used to pray, and it's not yani, you know, so it's no major problem, and everything's pretty clean. Anyway, the, in the middle of the prayer, the Prophet took off his slippers, and so the companions also all took off their slippers too. When the Prophet uh, finished. He said, why did you take off your slippers? They said, we saw you take off yours, so we took off ours. And then he said, Inna Jibril atani adhan No, no, Jibreel Islam came to me during the prayer and told me that my slippers had dirt and impurity upon it. That's the only reason that I took my slippers off. So he didn't like the fact that they, they took their slippers off for no reason. He took it off because they were dirty. So this shows that we must make our clothes pure. Okay, the second point is cl- uh, your body. How do we know that you must be clean from the body? Number one, first evidence is all of the ahadith which obligate istinja and istijmar. Yes, istinja is what? Cleaning of the private parts with water. Istijmar is cleaning the private parts with, with tissues and earth and all the rest of it. Okay, and these are obligate, have been obligated. And we know that these areas are the areas the private areas are the areas where Najasa is, yes? And so therefore, this is an obligate, this is an evidence which shows it's obligatory to remove it. Secondly, the Prophet ﷺ has obligated one to wash away madhi, which is prostatic fluid from the private parts. If someone wakes up and they've had ejaculation of prostatic fluid, which is different from sperm, because sperm is pure, then that madhi can be washed away, and that is sufficient. It needs to be washed away, okay? And then for the third evidence, the Prophet ﷺ, he told us about the two men who were being punished in their grave when he was asked why. He said because they did not yani, keep themselves away from the urine. Okay, they did not, yani, uh, when they would urinate, they did, they did it carelessly. They didn't yani, take care to try and avoid it being going over them. The final thing is the area, al-makan. What's the evidence for the area that it must be also clear? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَأَحِدْنَا إِلَى إِبْرَاهِيمُ وَإِسْمَعِيلُ أَنْ طَهِّرَا بَيْتِ إِلَى الطَّائِفِينَ وَالْعَاكِفِينَ وَالْرُكَعِ السُّجُودِ In Surah Al-Baqarah verse 125, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we, we put it upon Ibrahim and Ismail to purify the house for those who walk around it, those who stay there, those who bow, and those who prostrate. So we obligated upon them to purify the house. Okay, that's the first evidence. Secondly, we know the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, when, he, when the man came into the uh, masjid, he was Arabi, Bedouin, and he came, went into the corner, started urinating in the masjid. And the companions were all going to jump on him, but he said, Khalas, let him finish. He's now started, yani. So then when he had finished, the Prophet ﷺ said, bring the bucket, and then he poured the bucket on the uh, urine, which proves if it was okay then this ground is earth and the sun would dry up and it would be no problem. But he needed to make sure that it's gone. So it was just a bit of water was poured there and we know now the area is clean and that therefore is a proof that the area needs to be
clean as well is that clear everybody so that's all the evidences of why you need to be pure and why the area needs to be physically pure your body needs to be pure and the clothes need to be pure that's a summary of three years you see that if you just started right now you just saved yourself three years of study let's take some quick questions we've got maybe three four minutes yeah No, no, that's later. It's nothing to do with this now. Uh, yep. Is there evidence uh, from the, the Sunnah that a man can forbid a Muslim from praying because it is a connection to Allah and Allah loves and Allah commands? Oh, absolutely. Yes, uh, there is an evidence. This is the evidence. What Sheikh Uthameen said, yeah, and the person makes a good question, right? How is it possible that a person says to the other one, you can't pray? But he's not saying that you can't pray, I'm special, you're not special, you can't pray. He's not saying it like that. He's saying to him that you can't pray, your prayer is invalid because you've decided, and he's giving you a reason. If he's following Sheikh Uthameen's opinion, that's a clear reason. You're not allowed to pray. You're taking liberties. You're just yani, praying after the prayer time. Yeah, sort of. He can't say that because that's, that's one of the opinions. No, no. He, I, I mean, he can say, this is the opinion that we, I was taught. This is what I, th- I, I hold. This is what I believe. He can't say that this is the only opinion and there is no possible opinion and you follow the minority when he's actually following the majority. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, all the caveats. Yeah. Yeah. What's the class the class position is the majority position. The class position is the majority position. Okay, that the prayer has to be made up. However, I want to say to you that I have a lot of sympathy for this from a legal point of view. I think it is a very legal, strong argument. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hey, that depends. It depends upon whether the evidence is strong enough, whether we believe we're confident enough. And, so, and obviously the majority position is safer in, in, in general. But when we're studying a text and studying a, 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 a class you know, position, we're confident with our position. And we are not held accountable any more than that. We have the evidences, we look what the scholars say, we're not making this up ourselves. It's based upon the scholars as well. Okay, Navid, yeah? You know what you said about getting more prayers Yep, so I'm going to talk about that. Yeah, I didn't want to go into this because it's going to open up a lot. There's something important I just want to make sure because the next time the class is here, we won't have this. This is actually for everyone in the masjid and everyone online as well. Well, UK really. Um, this, this issue about voting, okay, um, uh, they have now I- introduced that if you do not register yourself again to, re- to vote, even though you have voted last time and you get postal votes and all the rest of it, if you don't go to this website or the government website, gov.uk, register to vote, and actually register, you will not only lose your right to vote, but there's possible fines as well, and they'll find some kind of way to take your money. I'm sure they will. They'll blag it somehow, okay? Now, it is important because there are a number of elections that are coming up. We have local council elections. We have the PCC elections. We have the European elections. You've got the European referendum, Yanni, as well. Although that might seem nothing to you, but anything that we can use to slap Yanni, dodgy Dave here, then that's going to be good. Then there's going to be other elections, etc., etc., etc. So make sure you do this because Tuesday is the deadline. That doesn't mean you do it on Monday, okay? Right? I know because we're packed, that's the way we work. But yeah, now that you've seen it, if you're near a computer, register. If you're not, then register tonight. It's just important because afterwards you're not going to be allowed and you're going to be in trouble. Okay, guys. Jazakumullah khair. Next week, inshallah, we'll take it as it is. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. We have gifts going around, Yani, but from the generosity of the people who go to the blessed lands and make the masjid the blessed lands. Zakamullah khair. Barakallahu feek. After the salah you can come. Yeah, yes, the salah of course, yes. Yes, yes. You see Shazad has been away so long, he's asking, do we do salah? Do we do salah? Which means that he hasn't watched last week's or the weeks before 
or the weeks before. Astaghfirullah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Subhanakallah. Muhammadakashadu Allah. Ilaha. Jazakallah. Allah.